In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. There's something to be clear on the onset of our gospel text today and its meditation here in the message that the lawyer who comes and stands before Jesus is not doing it in all sincerity, if that were not already obvious. He comes before Jesus with a very pointed question, maybe one that we've had uh, in the bank of our own imagination or mind. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? What shall I do to inherit eternal life? St. Luke records the insincerity in which uh, this question is asked. How a certain lawyer stood up for the intended purpose of putting Jesus to the test. And so it is that the entire foundation for his question is compromised because it lacks the integrity in hearing an answer. The lawyer's demeanor is one of a learned man, perhaps a good student even, but certainly arrogant. He's a pupil who asks good questions but stumbles over the answers as they are convicting and unflattering, particularly for himself. Now, we can't be sure what exactly is the kind of test he wishes to uh, ask for Jesus, asking maybe, maybe in the, his heart of hearts, trying to find out truly if Jesus is the authentic Messiah, or was it rather to test Jesus to the end of humiliating him and humiliating him as a fraud? It's more likely the, the second of those two choices. The latter one seems to be the most likely Either way, it doesn't end well for the lawyer, or at least it doesn't seem that it goes all that well for him. He's a troubled student, presuming that there's something that he can do to maneuver his way into eternal life. But here's where we find an unfortunate parallel between the lawyer and ourselves. We are troubled all the same, all of us, assuming that there is some way to please God to gain an eternal inheritance by our works. You only have to think about your own prayers to see that this is true. Our prayers are often the place where we barter with God for this, that, or another thing, usually for ourselves or for another person, uh, wishing to either get ourselves out of a sticky situation or a tragic situation, maybe of health, in exchange for God's blessings for what we presume will be an equally valuable service or earthly action. So we have our prayers. We say, God, if you do this, I will do that. We commend ourselves to our own earthly practices in some way, thinking that these things are going to please God. Some way, our actions on earth are going to be the means by which we enter into eternal life. So we barter with God, and we get various of answers in return, or what we seem to think are answers in return. So we treat God as though his love is conditional upon our efforts, but we miss the mark, of course. It's the other way around. His love is conditional upon his efforts, not ours. And Christ has offered himself in sacrifice on the cross in exchange for our sins in exchange for our 
deep inability to barter for anything of merit on this earth to enter into heaven itself. If we are like, the, like that lawyer, we would say that Jesus has negotiated these terms poorly. He gets the cross and we get the benefits of his cross. But when we see clearly our troubled existence, our fallenness into sin, we find his love to be an extraordinary kindness. It is, and it is because without his sacrificial love, no one is saved. No one is saved apart from Christ and his work. This is the need that Jesus is trying to alert the lawyer to. But it's also the need that he's trying to alert us to as well. We are in deep trouble. Something that children hear a lot. (laughs) But also for the children of mankind. We are in trouble. And only God provides the way of escape. The inheritance we deserve is damnation. And our sinful lives are only worthy of an eternal separation from the love of God. So many are oblivious to this danger living in a blindness they cannot see. They presume that they possess an overall goodness that will please God. And maybe you've heard others say this, maybe you have caught yourself saying this, or maybe you don't catch yourself saying this, but you should. The way in which we barter with God in our prayers stumbles out of our mouths when people ask us or we, when we presume our status before God. We say things like, I'm a good person, or If there is a God, I think he'll see everything that I've done and he'll say that I've done mostly good in my life. And these things will be the the account that we can bring before him and that he would give us and enter us, uh, give us entrance into heaven itself. This leaves them and would leave us and does leave us, if these are our words, with a false sense of security, a, a false security that is not true. And when you think about it, it furthers the, it furthers the, or increases the trespass of of our fallen nature. It does a great harm to think of ourselves as being able to be good enough in the sense that we can save ourselves. Because if you consider your neighbor who thinks in the contrary way, they are in the deepest pit of all. It does great harm to the neighbor who is depressed and hurting who cannot see much good in themselves, so they presume that God cannot love them. When everything is dependent upon you, you either bless yourself into eternal life, or you eternally damn the person who sees no way out. Good thing it's not up to you and me. It's a great evil to barter with God, to make his love conditional upon your efforts, to presume presume your goodness, and to saddle the grief-stricken with added guilt and shame. The lawyer's problem, and ours, is that we do not see our first inheritance of sin needing to be undone. But that is the mess that can only be undone by Christ alone. And it's to this end that Jesus turns the question around to the lawyer for him to respond to. What is written in the law? How do you read it? How do you inherit 
eternal life is basically what Jesus turns on the lawyer, letting him speak to really trip over himself by giving a good response but not really understanding what it is that he's saying. Christ is truly a good teacher here because the lawyer has to answer with the summary of the law, the very thing that speaks to the character of God before it is also to be given to be the character of man in holiness and righteous living. So the lawyer responds to Jesus' question, what is written in the law? How do you read it? He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says to him, you've answered correctly. Give this man a gold star. Do this and you will live. Do this. Do it. Go. Try. But the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Do this. That is a difficult task. Even impossible. Of course, that's the point. To do anything to inherit eternal life, to love God and neighbor perfectly, is an impossible thing on your own, according to your own mind and functionality. Without God, it is an impossible thing to do. I don't know about you, but when I hear these words of Scripture, I'm, I'm always humored, but also ashamed by the lawyer's response. He doesn't ask who God is. That seems to be obvious to him. He's the one who created us. But his neighbor, that's the thing that escapes him. Somehow he can connect himself to his creator, but he cannot, cannot connect all of mankind as being God's creation. He, cannot, he can see God as his creator, but he can't see his brothers and sisters whom God has also created. Again, this blindness is our own. Fallen people, you and me, are selfish people. One-track-minded kind of people. Trying to narrow the field of responsibility kind of people. Certainly, I don't have to be a neighbor to all people, is the presumption here. The lawyer, as we can see, is in knots. He's entangled within his own being. Evidence that the law of God is doing its work of convicting him, working on his hardened heart. His thinking is a blundered mess. Again, what Jesus tells him sticks with him. Do this and you will live. It's the mortal mind sorting out the cosmic cause and effect of his ability to love God and neighbor. How do you do that? How do you do that specifically with the neighbor? Who is my neighbor? The assumption of the lawyer is that he has loved God, and he's done it perfectly, and he can get his head around who God is, and he seemingly believes that He's done a fine job of loving him, but his neighbor is a bit of a mystery. Who is that guy? Is my neighbor only other believers? Is it people that I love? Is my neighbor only those who like me and I like them? The question of who is leads into how many 
And must I love all these people as my neighbor? What is clear is that this man is desperate to justify himself. The star student who approached Jesus with the arrogance of false security is now fishing for the bare minimum. He wants to claim those he's loved already as his neighbors so he may qualify for the inheritance of eternal life. But there are many more to be loved. In fact, a whole world of people to love as our neighbor. And more than this, if we do not love the least of God's people, how can we say that we've truly loved God perfectly? It puts us in knots as much as it does the lawyer. Now this is important. And I want you to... uh, Hear again the parable. And the reason why I I want to read the parable again is that you listen in closely to the parable and consider why Jesus illustrates it as he does. This time, listen to it and imagine Jesus as the Savior to the dying man, the robbed man. And hold also in your heart another perspective that Jesus is the dying man in sacrifice under a world of soul robbers and religious charlatans. This is the illustrative intention of the parable. So the parable again. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. This pericope always makes me think of the theme song for Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, which is a uh, a sermon illustration that is slowly but surely dying, so I hope you get it. (laughs) But um, if you don't, it, it can still be salvageable. The lawyer and Mr. Rogers ask two very different questions about the neighbor. The lawyer asks, who is my neighbor? Versus the Mr. Rogers, Samaritan-like, won't you be my neighbor? The rigidity of the lawyer is a glaring contrast to that Mr. Rogers-like Samaritan. The lawyer is busy drafting a personhood blueprint, trying to figure out if he can exclude some from the list so that he may be able to finish it out, so that he may be able to look at the list and accomplish it and show it to God. While the Samaritan has already assumed the neighborly need of the naked and robbed man. Only the Samaritan is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And what about the man himself, the neighbor in need? His tragic biography is telling also. At one moment he's on a journey, and the next moment he is robbed, stripped, beat for no reason, and left to die, while priests and Levite, a Levite, wag their heads and leave him to save himself. There they left him, as if they esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. The parable 
points us to Jesus. In the commandments, there is an intrinsic call to love God and neighbor. The tables of the law contain both our loving obligation to God and all people. Yet when we begin to ask what our obligation is, we've already failed. We have walked past God's clear word seeking to justify ourselves. That is a tragic reality. That when we avoid helping and supporting our neighbor's physical need for mercy, it is as though we have stripped him of his personhood and murderously abandoned him for dead. God holds us to the highest standard of fearing and loving him so that for the rest of our lives, what would flow out from us would be an honor for all people that everyone may, know, may become to us our greater and we their servant to serve and obey, to love and cherish no matter the cost. This is all an impossibility though, isn't it? An impossibility in ourselves A fallen people cannot love this way. But Jesus can. Jesus has fulfilled the law in our place. And his love supports us by faith to love our neighbor and to have the strength to do so. To live a life of reconciliation because he has been gracious to us. Because we have been graciously reconciled to the Father through the Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. So it is transitory, just not in the way we try to barter with God. Only the true good man and God, Jesus Christ, has made possible a life to live in love toward all people. He humbles the proud and lifts up the lowly, and by grace gives us a portion of his goodness that all might have from him the promise of eternal life. It is all his doing and not our own. The parable points us to Jesus and not to our works. And this is the gospel. The gospel that Jesus preaches to the lawyer and to us. To consider what an eternal inheritance from God is all about in heaven, but also on earth. Jesus asks this lawyer, and presumably to us as well, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the lawyer responds, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. As God has been merciful to you, forgiving you the inheritance of sin and every sin since the fall of man, and has blessed you with an internal inheritance of eternal life through the absolute love of Jesus, so will your love for others overflow. As God's grace overflows your cup, know that it is not wasted grace, but useful to fill up your neighbor's cup with the love of Christ for them. Jesus tells the man, you go and do likewise, and it can't be done apart from Jesus. He has already done it for the man, and for you, and for me. Jesus has already been merciful and declared us righteous to live holy lives and love all people with service and the gospel. He has given himself for our greatest needs of body and soul. He serves us in body and soul, in word and sacrament, and calls us to the stewardship that he gave us at creation, to love God and to love neighbor. Our inheritance is from the Lord, not from ourselves. 
So we go and do likewise to others as Jesus has done to us, loving us as we have been loved and tending to the needs of our neighbors, body and soul. For again, Christ has done it all for you. Amen.